0: All right, we are in Ephesians chapter five, and I think I've announced a couple times we'll be out of town. I got a wedding coming up the twenty seventh of June, my nephew uh, in Indiana to go to, and then our my fiftieth class reunion. I didn't know I'd ever see this day, but it's coming. And I hope I hope I do see the day. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it's it's about to come. So anyway, uh, we'll be celebrating that too. So have a couple couple weekends, and I have a guest speaker coming in on the 27th to fill the pulpit that day, so you'll be ready for that. Ephesians chapter 5, and we finished up with verse 17. I wanted to touch on a couple other things. We really spent a fair amount of time on verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and understanding that the Lord wants us to put our lives, as it were, to the test so that we know for sure that we are walking in a manner that is acceptable to Him or well-pleasing to Him. And so we 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 read scripture, we understand what God expects of a follower of Christ, of one that God is going to honor one day. Uh, we can look in the Old Testament and find many passages of scripture, even lists of things uh, that tell us, well, you do this and this and this and this, and this is... This is pleasing to God. This is acceptable to him. One of my favorites, if we want to just take a quick look there, uh, is Psalm 15. Take a look at that one, if you would. Psalm 15. And if, you're, if you, want, or, you, know, you sit back and wonder what it is that God expects out of me, what can I be doing that will make myself pleasing in his sight, What can I do that will ensure that he will receive me in that coming day? Then you can look at a psalm like this one. In Psalm 15, David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Now that phrase, that verse, would nearly take a whole message all by itself, but he's talking about the one who abides in the tabernacle in the presence of God, in his holy hill, on Zion, in Jerusalem, in the place that God had had chosen to dwell with Israel. And so here's the answer, David says. And you just, The rest of these verses is nothing but a, a to-do list, if you will. How I can conduct my life and my walk and my talk so that I can be sure that this would actually happen to me. I walk uprightly, verse 2, work righteousness, speak the truth in his heart, verse 3, you don't backbite with your tongue. You don't do evil to your neighbor. You don't take up a reproach against your neighbor. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. In other words, you don't look favorably favorably, favorably upon the vile person. He honors them that fear the Lord. So we're, we're to fear him. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Well, that's the ability to take the pain for doing right and living right. Living by principle and not by pressure. Verse 5, he that putteth not out his money to usury, which is abusive and excessive interest, loaning it out. He doesn't take reward against the innocent. No bribes, no under the table dollars or exchange. Everything's above board. David says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. So there you go. Here's a list. Do all these things. Now, that's not the complete list, there's more. But when Paul says proving, putting to the test, those things that are acceptable, of course, the New Testament epistles are full of those things. He just finished in chapter 4 about putting off the old man and putting on the new and what that was characterized by. He didn't name very many things there, but a few. But notice in verse 25, he mentions the neighbor again. So there are clearly brought out to us in Scripture how we're to live our life and we're to examine it and put it to the test for the purpose of finding it approved. And if we find otherwise, then it means we need to change. Now, down in verse um, 13 in the King James is kind of an awkward verse, The way it's worded, but he's simply telling us that all things that are reproved—that is, are put under the test—are made manifest. He says by the light, for whatsoever doth uh, make manifest is light. In other words, it's it's brought out. Anything that's manifest is revealed. It's exposed. And some things belong to darkness. Other things belong to light. In verse 8, we found that Paul said, You were sometimes darkness, now are ye light. Walk as children of light. So we were to do all these things, examining ourselves, making sure that our, our daily walk, is in the daily light. (laughs) As Jerry just shares with us every Sunday, the daily light. It's for every day. It's not just for Sunday, although he only gets to read it on Sunday to us, but it's for every day. Daily light. Having the light revealing to us as we read God's word to show us where we need to make correction, where we need to adjust ourselves And by the way, we're coming up on this word that means to do that very thing, to align ourselves up so that we fit under that blessing and that approval. That's why he said then, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. If there's a manner of slumber, indifference, You caught up with the affairs of this world. He's saying, wake up to these things, and he will show you. He'll give you light. And he will. He'll show us the way. He doesn't intend for us to walk in darkness. We've been translated. He told the Colossian church, we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That is not a place of darkness. It is a place of light. So consequently then, see then that you walk circumspectly. See then that you walk circumspectly, accurately, carefully. I know some translations move that word circumspectly and they translate it carefully, and they say looking carefully, but that's the wrong place to put it. We're not to, it's not like we're supposed to look carefully. It's that we're to walk carefully. And so we're to give attention to it, of what we do and what we say, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know when he says these are evil days, and when he says redeeming the time, this can be a confusing verse as well. Because I, I mean, I know that first time I ever saw this, and before I ever knew anything about looking up words in Greek and everything, you know, I thought redeeming the time, okay, that means I shouldn't let one second go by in the in the day. What I'm thinking about the Lord, and I'm witnessing, or I'm reading the Bible, you know, or doing some profitable thing, buying up the opportunity, as we said, this literally means to buy up the opportunities or to take advantage of every occasion and we to do it. But you know, there are different words representing time in Scripture. One of them is Chronos. We get our you know our word for chronology. It's the passing of time, ta-da-ta-ta-ta, you know, like this. But there are other words representing time having to do with an event or a happening. And that's what he's talking about here. It's the word kairos. And it has to do with redeeming the time as it t- happens. Taking, that's why taking advantage of the opportunities is really the best understanding of that verse. To redeem the time simply means when an opportunity comes, don't let it get by you. Don't let it slip. And I know we're all guilty of that. We've all done that. And all wish we could go back and undo some things and fix it. But we can't. But we can redeem it. We can make the most of what comes our way. And don't let it slip on by. And finally then, We saw that he said, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And we said that that would be a transition verse, and it is. It goes with both places, what he said up to this point, but what is yet to come. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And again, this whole idea of the will of God as being a dot, that there is something specific. Here's the will of God, and you've got to get that, and if you don't get it right on the dot, you've missed the thing altogether, and boy, your life is just a mess, and now you're second rate, and you got the second best, and you know there's no other hope for you. That's not what that's saying. Understanding God's will has to do with the daily activities. The, the working out of our life, the walk of our life before the Lord. So understanding the will of the Lord, and he's already up to this point in chapters one, two, three, and 4, talk to us about the will of God. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1, he tells us a little bit about the will of God. In verse 1, Paul says he was an apostle by the will of God, He was God's choice. But then he says in verse 5 that we were predestinated unto the adoption of children through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then, if you look at... um, forgot my other verse here. There's another one coming down here somewhere. Verse 11. In whom also, he says, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And Paul has just revealed to us what it is about God's will. His desire... Over here in the rest of chapter one, where in verse 16, when he begins to pray, and he says, he sees us not to give thanks and to men- make mention of you in my prayers, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of the glory uh, of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing, exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. This is all that God wants us to know regarding his will. Understanding, be wise. Not unwise, so that we know why God has called us to walk the way He wants us to walk, because there is an end in view, and it pays dividends and this walk is you know this walk is not purposeless; it has a purpose to its end. Now, in verse eighteen we said this was a transition verse he says and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with spirit now it's a difficult verse because the word with really has the idea of by means of and in There's no article in front of spirit. So be filled by means of spirit. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, it's sort of like I pictured it this way in my own mind. It's like going to the gas station to fill your car up. You know, you let the the gas pump represent God. You let the guy holding the hose and filling the tank That's the Holy Spirit, and the believer is the automobile. You're not filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is filling us. Of course, the question becomes then, with what? What are we to yield to in letting the Spirit fill us with? the knowledge of his will, the eyes of our understanding, being enlightened with the hope of his calling, with the future inheritance, letting God fill us with these things so that we can be motivated properly to walk the kind of walk that he's talking about in those previous few verses. That's why I said it's a transition verse. He moves from this walk and this examining of ourselves into how to do it. He tells us wherein is excess. Don't be drunk with wine don't use an artificial external means for filling. And he says it's excess. Now that's an interesting word, that word excess. It is asosia. It comes from the word sozo. It means unsavingness. Unsavingness. So what Paul is telling us here, don't use external things like alcohol which has no saving quality to it. But let the Holy Spirit let the Spirit fill you not be filled with the Spirit, but Let the Spirit fill you with those things that will lead us to the kind of life that has God's approval, that is acceptable and well-pleasing to Him. And he tells us in verse 19, well, what kinds of things are those? This is an interesting passage then. It's, It's singing, Speaking to yourselves, making melody and so on, he says. This little phrase, speaking to yourselves in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, if you weren't careful, you would think that means I'm supposed to go around all day just talking to myself, singing songs, and hymning, uh, humming along with some hymns and so on. But that's not what it says. What it says is it's you and I, fellow believers, speaking to one another. Turn with me back to an interesting verse in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, Malachi, this is a a real neat book. Malachi, in verse 16, says this, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. Well, that's what we need. (laughs) The Lord hears when his people are fellowshipping together, speaking to one another. But notice what else he says. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. You know, it's more than just the external life that we live that God examines and looks at. But he's watching our heart. He knows our thoughts. You know, I I used to get so frustrated. I enjoy meditating on spiritual things. I enjoy meditating on the Lord, just thinking about him. I enjoy meditating in the word when I can remember it. Sometimes I struggle with that. But you know what? Sometimes, like especially during tax season, I used to get so busy I could go all day and it seems like I wouldn't even think about God one time. I mean, I'd be just so busy. Go, 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 this, that, the phone calls. I mean, sometimes I'd have days go by where I couldn't even get one tax return done because the phone was ringing, one after the other. And I'd have to take messages. Then I'd have to call people back. I used to get frustrated about that. I didn't like that. But life's not that way, is it? Life comes at us and gives us what it's going to give us. But the thought here is, is that the Lord knows our heart. Malachi is telling us that these that fear the Lord and think upon his name... God takes note of that. A book of remembrance. And one of the things that were key to this, he says, they that feared the Lord spake one to another. Now, of course, we got that well-known verse following that in verse 17. And they shall be mine, he says, in that day when I make up my jewels. That word makeup there, the words makeup, is the word for choose. When I choose my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. So is there a good prospect for being filled with the Spirit, that is, being filled, having Him fill us with these things. There sure is. There's an out, there's, there's a positive outcome at the end. And he tells us here then, one of the practical things, there's four things he mentions here: speaking to yourselves, speaking to one another. How? in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I don't know what the difference is between all of these. They are they're so minute and so closely related, it's hard to distinguish them. Some do make attempts at it. The word psalms and the word making melody come from the same word. And basically, you know, psalms are... are Praises to God. So that that one I think is pretty well set. We can understand that one. Um, then he talks about hymns. Well, we look in a hymnal. We have a hymn book. So what are these? Compositions by somebody who made up a poem, and then they put it to music, and it's 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 a message. It's intended to teach. So we have hymns, we have spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. I like to think you know, spiritual is this. Um, it's it's the you know the, the Greek word numa and it's pneumatikos, spiritual, characterized by. And it seems to me that. And the best I can figure out is these kinds of songs are those that just grow out of our heart. They're the kinds of words or things that we, you know, throughout our day or throughout our week as we meditate on the Lord and, and we seek to walk with him and talk with him that just emanate from us because of our joy in the Lord. And we, you know, it's just like they just come out of us. It's, it's not, it's not the planned thing. It's, it's the joy of the walk with God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Making melody, praising. Like I said, psalms and making melody are from the same word. Uh, making melody, praising God in your heart. Well, that seems to be what Malachi was telling us. In our heart and to the Lord. The most amazing thing about all this is you do it in your heart, but yet we're supposed to be speaking to one another as we share with one another. There's there's so much wrapped up in the life of the body of Christ and this compactness and this being knit together. It's like, why in the world and how is it that anybody ever thinks that they can walk this life apart from the local church as a Christian? How is it that anybody would think that they could stand before the Lord at his judgment seat and gain his approval by taking their own path apart from the local church? But you can't do it. You can't separate them. And the fact of the matter is, as I've said on many occasions, we need each other. We must have each other. That's why I thank the Lord for a building like this that we can meet in. We have a place to go. And we can fellowship together. And I'm, I'm like you. Sometimes I'm thinking, boy, we need to do more of it. But in this busy day, how do you do it? How do you get them all together? And then, of course, if we're going to do it around a meal, that's even better. That just seals the deal right there. (laughs) Okay, I better get off of that one real quick. Verse 20, giving thanks. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't even know for sure how to express the emphasis that Scripture puts on the necessity of having an attitude of thankfulness and being grateful for what God has done for us. I'll tell you one thing. When we look back at what we used to be and we look forward to today to what we are, That will go a long way to recognizing where I came from and what God has done. You know, it is very difficult from one day to the next to say, boy, I see where I was yesterday and now I see where I am today. I'm really grateful for that. That's a lot harder for me than if I go back to where I was when I was in my teens or in my 20s and look at myself then and then say, well look at where God has brought me in all these years and I can hardly could tell you the specific events along the way. Now there are just a few. Most of us could only name a few events that were life-changing But it didn't happen in just a few events. It happened day after day after day after day. Little bits of change. Little bits of growth. Little bits of growing in grace. Learning to walk by faith. And it happens slowly. And this attitude then of giving thanks is the attitude that carries us along on that daily walk and enables us to keep growing and keep these things in our heart and he changes I, you know and he, he he directs these things when he when he in chapter verse verses 18 19 and 20 there you know these things are being Mentioned and di- directed with an attitude, or a, um, I won't say an attitude. A, they're directed towards God, giving thanks to God the Father. But then notice in verse twenty-one, He turns and He turns to us, to man. And then He and He says with that same idea of these psalms, hymns, spiritual th- songs, giving, making melody, giving thanks, submitting. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I know for some of us, that's a fearful word. I don't want to be under anybody. But you know what he says? It's an attitude of the heart as well. It's a voluntary Placing yourself under. It's a military term. It has, carries the idea of putting together an army and placing them under positions or places of authority. Lining them up, as it were. And so what he's telling us to do here is line yourself up to each other. Line yourself up in submission one to another. Give deference or defer yourself to the other person. Instead of saying, well, I really want this to happen, or the way I'd like to see the church go is this way, or whatever else situation that may call for, it's giving way having a spirit and an attitude that says, I don't have to be first. I don't have to be out in front. But you know, there are some people that just don't seem to be able to function very well in life unless they're the ones out in front leading the way. Or or we do need leaders. And we do need those leading the way. But we need those leading the way who have this kind of submissive spirit, and it being submissive to one another. You know, when you get the body of Christ together, and it's, as Paul described it back here in chapter 4, when he talked about it as being a, a, a building, fitly joined together, compacted, or knitted together, and us recognizing that we are all parts one of another, That there is a place in the body for each person? It makes it a whole lot easier, to my way of thinking at least, that I can understand Paul's directive then and why the Lord wants us to be submissive one to another. Because the elbow cannot lead the way. It has its own role to play. Now, it's a difficult place to stop because this also is a transition verse. Because he leads from verse 21 into relationships on a practical scale that have to do with being in subjection. And so we have to take those up next week. Lord willing. So hang on to the thought. Hang on to the thought of this matter of submission or subjection. Some don't like the word submission. This is, I don't see a whole lot of difference between submission and subjection, except except for this. Submission seems to carry with it the idea of, of or submitting, of my will is not necessarily in it. In other words, I have to conquer my own will. Whereas subjection has the idea or should, maybe I should say, should carry the idea of a voluntary, willful placing myself under. Now, I don't know if that that isn't, you know, they're so close together in my mind I can't hardly separate them. But I I think that we can say this, that Paul's idea of submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God is so that his own body, Christ's own body, can function in unity and oneness with the spirit of love and joy and singing and carrying out all of these things that he's been speaking to us about in a manner that is acceptable and well-pleasing to him. And as we tied those words together the last last time of testing and proving and acceptable and well-done, Well pleasing, and we saw that when the Lord told his parables concerning the servants, and he said, Well done, we noted that the word done is not there, it's just the word EU, well. Of course, done is implied, well done. It's it's the first part, this word that's translated other places instead of acceptable, well pleasing, it's the word well in the phrase well pleasing. And so we do those things then so that we can hear him say, Well done. I hope that all makes sense, that it all fits together, that everything Paul's telling us has a reason behind it and a purpose. And it's all going to play out in the end. And there's going to come a day when if we don't test ourselves, if we don't examine ourselves and put ourselves to the test, then he tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that it will be put to the test by fire. And there it will be tried by him. And then it will be exposed. Then it will be made manifest in that day what it is that we have been made of. Now that can be both scary or it can be a blessing. If we know that we have walked pleasing to him, then we can look forward to that day with the mindset and attitude that says, hooray, hooray. I know that my life has been pleasing to the Lord, and I know when that day comes and that fire takes away all the dross, all that's going to be left is going to be the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And I always have to go back to to what Jude tells us. Now unto him who is able to, to keep us from stumbling or falling and to present us blameless or faultless in the presence of our Lord. And he can do that. I'm I'm holding to I'm holding to that. For all the problems I have and all my you know my own personal inadequacies and my own faults we have that prospect of being able to be presented to him faultless, blameless. That's going to make that day worth everything. Everything. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we look forward to that day. If we've been walking in fellowship with you, walking in the light, as John tells us, walking in this world, as apart from all those things that the world offers us, and walking in this manner that is acceptable and pleasing in your sight, that there's going to be a, a great joy in that day, and a great outburst of singing and thanksgiving and praise because of the honor that you will bestow and the blessings that you will give to those who have been faithful to you. Dear Father, I pray that we in our congregation, in our assembly, in this body of Christ, here, in this local assembly, that we would do and be those things that you've called us to do and called us to be. Help us each one to grow in that grace that you've called us to grow in, and to be what we ought to be before you. For it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.